As you take your seats, I invite you to turn in your copies of God's holy and inspired word to the Gospel of Matthew. The Gospel of Matthew this morning, we're going to look at that well-known Great Commission passage as it is an introduction for what we are going to be looking at in this coming year. Uh, We will be, Lord willing, working through the Sermon on the Mount as well as other uh, passages um, in which we will allow Jesus to speak to us directly and to learn from his teachings. And so this morning, we're going to look at the Great Commission in order to help remind us here at the beginning of 2023 what is Grace Covenant mission? Why are we here? Why does this church exist here in Paulding County, uh, West Paulding, or uh, I do this every time, East Paulding, West Cobb? Why are we here? Why are we here worshiping today? Why did we do the things that we do? What is our mission? Well, our mission is making kingdom disciples, and so we're going to read this morning Uh, Before I read the Matthew passage, though, I'm going to read from two other passages um, to help set this up. And so hear now the word of God. And behold, with the clouds of heaven there came one like the Son of Man, and he came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. Jesus praying in John 17, that they are not of the world just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth, your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in truth. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. And now to Matthew 28, beginning in verse 16. Now the eleven disciples went into Galilee to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as you have revealed your Son, and through him revealed your words to us, your people, we thank you that we have a high priest who has prayed for us and is still praying for us that we would be sanctified by your truth 
And so help us to hear it, and more importantly, Lord, help us to receive it, that we may do it, and that we may take it throughout the world. It is in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. It's very easy here at the turn of a new year. Happy New Year, by the way. Or maybe that's too much to ask two weeks in, I don't know. Mediocre New Year, if that takes pressure off. But it's a new year, and with a new year, for some reason, with the changing of the calendar, it just becomes very natural for people to take stock once again of themselves, to take stock of their lives, to to take stock of what is going on within their relationships, within within their occupation, within their different callings. And there are so many things right now that are vying for your attention, for you to be thinking about, so many different areas and aspects of your daily existence. But what I want us to do is take a step back and think about the church. Because within all the different vocational callings, all the different relational callings, all the different responsibilities, all the different privileges, with every aspect and area of your daily life, within all of these wonderful things, Jesus tells us that there is one thing that is to be constraining the church's existence and purpose. Where where all those different things, all those wonderful, good things, those privileges, those responsibilities, those challenges, where all of those are to be set into the context of one thing. And that one thing is the mission of making kingdom disciples. Now, for us, it's not only natural for us to consider this because of the turning of the day of the calendar with the new year starting here with 2023. But also, as we have been uh, talking about, this is the 50th anniversary of the Presbyterian Church in America. The Presbyterian Church in America, which was formed in 1973 to be a denomination that is faithful to the scriptures, true to the Reformed faith, and what? Anybody know the last one? Anybody besides Susan? Obedient to the Great Commission. That is exactly right. That is the reason that the men and women who formed the PCA back in 1973, that was the original purpose that they not only believed was the right way to set the trajectory of the PCA, but it was something that they believed they received from God in Scripture that this is the whole purpose and reason for existence as the church of Jesus Christ. God could very easily have decided that when someone came to know Christ and when they were no longer dead in their sins and trespasses, but brought to, uh, made alive, raised up, and seated with Christ in the heavenlies spiritually, he could very easily have decided, I will also bring them physically. And it could be one of those situations that as God is taking people out of the kingdom of darkness and putting them into the kingdom of light, that they could disappear from this world. 
But that's not what he has decided to do. Instead, what he has decided to do is leave his redeemed, sanctified people here in order to be the instrument by which he would bring more into the kingdom. This is the most amazing privilege that we could ever dream up. That the God of the universe wants to use us to accomplish his purposes. The 50th year anniversary of our denomination. How are we doing with our purpose? Are we remaining faithful to the scriptures? Are we remaining faithful to the reformed faith? Are, are we being obedient to the great commission? But not only is it the 50th anniversary of the PCA, it is the 20th anniversary of Grace Covenant Church. A few weeks from now, it'll be 20 years since this church was brought into existence and began this amazing privilege in this journey of being God's people in this place where God is making himself known to us and through us. How are we doing? You see, this becomes a very natural opportunity for us. Whether it's the new year, the anniversary of our denomination, or the anniversary of our congregation, for us to take a step back and let's reflect upon the heart of the Christian faith and the privilege of being a church and look into this original purpose that God has for us, the mission that he wants to accomplish and is choosing to do it through us, and that is to make kingdom disciples. You see, it's helpful to take stock like this because it is so easy to get distracted. In the 1940s, there was this, the United States shipping line determined to build a new ship that they were going to call the U.S. or I'm sorry, the SS United States, a ship named after our country, and, and it was going to cost nearly 80 million dollars at the time for them to complete. It was going to be the largest ocean liner that had ever been constructed completely here in America. And it was being built in order to be the fastest ship uh, with being able to get between here and Europe and back and forth and back and forth. In fact, when they set sail for the very first time or when they went forth on their first voyage, their very first one broke the record. And they set many different records throughout the years, and they still, to this day, this ship, the, U, the, the SS United States, has the record for the fastest travel, transatlantic travel. But when it was being built, the, the, the idea of how it was originally designed and how it was pitched was that it could be used as a troop transport for United States um, military personnel to get them quickly to Europe. And they were building it so that it could, they could uh, carry about 10,000 troops on one ship. And so the United States government invested $50 million into the project. 
paid more than half, not once in its existence did the SS United States ever carry one troop. Instead, it came to cater to the, um, to the rich and to the wealthy, and instead of being a troop carrier, it became a luxury liner. And it continued to operate until 1969. Since then, they haven't known what to do with it. And in 1996, it was docked permanently um, on the Delaware River at Pier 82 in Philadelphia. And what it does right now is it serves as a popular tourist attraction. But in the process, it's continuing to decay it is falling apart, and it has become a relic of the past. And no one knows what to do with her. Do we restore her? Do we scrap her? How do you scrap the ship named after our country, right? There have been many attempts to come up with different plans, but no one really knows what to do. So she sits as a relic of the past, tied to a dock serving the interests of tourists, and continuing in decay, rather than being engaged in what she was designed to be. The question for us, whether it is Grace Covenant Church or the Presbyterian Church in America, are we going to be a luxury liner or are we going to be a troop carrier? Are we going to be on mission transporting the gospel both here and abroad, or are we going to become a tourist attraction, tied to port, catering to people's luxuries and preferences? Let me put it another, another way. Do we want to be a church and a people who take up the cross to follow Jesus and accomplish eternal things, or do we want to be a comfortable place for us to hide from the world? Jesus here in the Great Commission gives us the most amazing privilege in commissioning us as the Lord of the universe to participate in his mission. And the final instructions of Jesus must remain the first priority of his people. When we see this commission here in Matthew 28, there is this stark contrast between the setting of what is taking place and the statement that Jesus makes. Now, Jesus has already been born. He has gone through his life. He has been tried, convicted. He has died on the cross. He has been raised from the dead. And in his resurrection, he has a resurrection appearance with his people where he is meeting with, uh, we know the 11 disciples are there. Uh, there's one missing, and you know why. But there are 11 there. But there are also the other multitudes that had been following Jesus and who had not run away. And so Jesus, in his resurrection appearance with his people, he sets his blessing over them. And what we see is that the people are described as worshiping, but also what? Doubting. The resurrected Christ is in their immediate presence, blessing them, touching them, 
talking with them. And some are doubting. They are weak. They are confused. Things don't make sense to them. And they are struggling, even though Jesus is right there. And how does Jesus respond? Does he wag his finger? Does he get on to them? Does he yell at them? Does he get short with them? Is he impatient with them? Does he wag his head and just, and just can't, do, can't put up with it anymore? He reminds them of what is true and what has come to be because of his death and resurrection. All authority in heaven and on earth is now mine. Whether it is Psalm 2 or Daniel 7, from which we read moments ago, Jesus is the long-awaited Messiah, promised in the Old Testament, one who is the Ancient of Days, one who would become, who would come in flesh and be crowned with a dominion that is everlasting and can never be thwarted. And he would do this as a suffering servant, by suffering and dying and being raised from the dead. And, and so Jesus is here reminding him, look, all that the Old Testament scriptures promised about me has come true. And I am now this one endowed with all the, the authority of heaven and earth. God doesn't need perfect followers to accomplish his purposes. God doesn't need strong followers to accomplish his purposes. God doesn't need rich. God doesn't need powerful. God doesn't need any of these things that you and I are so easy to, to latch hold of if we are going to be successful in this mission that Christ is giving us a part of. The only power that is needed is the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ, which is as powerful today as the day in which Jesus, with arms lifted, blessed his people in his resurrection appearance. It is in this setting as Jesus is surrounded by a people who are confused and doubting and weak and still trying to understand and figure things out that Jesus states his authority and calls them as participants. Jesus includes weak, sinful, finite people. He includes people like you and me. He includes us to participate with him in cosmic and global kingdom purposes. Who's going to be the ambassadors of Christ to the world? Those with no money, no programs, no buildings, no standing with the government legally, and certainly not with any power of persuasion in the culture. He's going to use people who are looking him in the eye and still having doubts. Do you ever have doubts? Do you ever struggle with the call of being the church, especially now in our post-Christian culture where it's not as nice and it's not as easy and we're not as welcome? Do you ever struggle? Well, is, is Jesus still powerful? I mean, things aren't the way they were when I was younger. It's harder now. We, 
Well, guess what? Whatever doubts we experience right now, I doubt you and I have experienced the same existential doubt of looking Jesus in the eyes and still not knowing, is he real? Is he here? Is he going to achieve his purposes? Can I trust him? Can I give my life to him and for him? The only power needed for Christ's kingdom is the power that Christ possesses and that Christ provides. And the gospel today still has that power by which Jesus is accomplishing his ministry. And so we need to be reminded of the Great Commission in order to help us stay on track in the midst of our own weakness, in the midst of our own doubts, in the midst of our own struggles, in the midst of all the questions and concerns that the present has for us, let alone the future. And we are to be reminded of this Great Commission so that as we embrace it, And as we embody it, we will extend it as God's people. And so notice the claim. The claim here uh, that the Great Commission rests on is the claim that establishes everything. And if the claim is not true, then the commission is meaningless. And the claim that he makes is all authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. Now, he is not saying here all power. He has all power. But what he's claiming is something beyond power. He is claiming authority. Power is the ability to get something done. Authority is the jurisdiction over which what is happening takes place. Authority is freedom of action to constrain things to what one wants. It is the legal right to exercise power. Jesus obviously is omnipotent, but his claim here is also that he is sovereign. Now, what does that mean? What's the, what's the big deal making that distinction? Well... If you, like me, were amazed this past Monday evening in what was supposed to be a championship game between two teams that were supposedly equal in in power, it was very clear. I I can't believe Cliff's not here. This will teach Cliff to miss church. There was one team that had way more power than the other, and that was on full display, and it was easy to see. But there was another team that was there that not just had power, but had authority to put the power of both teams completely in check, and that was the team of referees. Right? You can have a powerful player. You can have a powerful team. But the authority of the refs limit, penalize, and can even disqualify the players regardless of their power. 
You can have a great player who has all the talent in the world, and if he gets called for targeting, he has to leave the game. And it doesn't matter how much the fans whine. It doesn't matter how much the analysts call the uh, things into, into question. If the ref says you're disqualified, you're disqualified, and you don't even get to stay on the field. That's the difference between power and authority. Power is, is what the players have in their skill. It is, is what they have in their abilities. It, it even is what they can have because of fan support or NIL contracts now. But the rest have authority. And regardless of how big, how fast, how strong a player may be, look out. Because a ref, he has a whistle and a yellow hanky. Jesus is claiming authority. It is my divine right to act as I please to accomplish what I want in the way that I want it done. And I get to choose who participates with me. And then I grant to them all that they need to participate well. All authority in heaven and on earth. Feeling weak? Feeling a little doubtful? Things a little up in the air right now? Well, hear the claim once again that Jesus has all authority in heaven and on earth. And because of that, he gives us the Great Commission. And the Great Commission is make disciples. It's not go and make disciples. It is make disciples. Now, the reason I'm drawing that distinction here is because in the language itself, the only imperative in this text, the only command in this text is the command to make disciples. And then what the text does is it uses three participles to describe what is involved in making disciples. And the first description here is the going. Going is not commanded here. Going is assumed. The going here that Jesus talks about is that Old Testament idea that we read about from uh, Genesis 17 about the idea of walking with the Lord. If you're going to walk with me, you, you are to walk before me and be blameless. And here's what I'm going to do for you. And here's what I'm going to do through you. It is about walking with the Lord. And as the church is assumed to be those who are walking with Christ in the authority of Christ, imbued with the power of Christ, the assumption is as you are going about your lives, as you are going about taking up the cross, as you are going about any and every aspect of your daily existence, do so with the intention and purpose of participating in making disciples. Now, obviously, we send missionaries out. And, we, and it is part of the Great Commission to send forth workers into the field to, to receive the harvest. And not every one of us can just go. 
There are some that are called to go. There are some that are called to teach and train. There are some who are called to pray and, and, and to give. And there are, there are levels of participation across the board. Not everyone is supposed to go, but everyone is supposed to live a lifestyle of making disciples. When we emphasize the going part as the command, it becomes really easy for some people to check out. Well, I can't go, so I must not have a role to play here. Or what happens more frequently in the circles I've been in, you, people live heaping a bunch of, of unnecessary pressure and guilt on themselves. Well, I'm just not as committed as a Christian because I won't go to Africa. Jesus doesn't want either of those responses for us. What he calls us to is to live a lifestyle in which the purpose that drives everything that we do is that we are participating in a lifestyle of making disciples. This can be as small as you saying a kind word to a stranger to going to the deepest, darkest recesses of Africa. Technically, I think the Amazon is a little more dangerous. But Africa gets all the press. And there's everything in between a, a kind word to a stranger to, to going and, and, and putting yourself in danger. There's everything in between there of how to participate in making disciples. Because what making a disciple is all about is connecting people with the king. It's connecting people with the king so that they give up their self-rule and they embrace his. They give up trying to be their own authority, and they embrace his. They give up trying to live by their own power, and they embrace his. They give up, they give up, they give up all of these lesser, finite things to participate in eternal realities. When we are making disciples, that's, that's where the word Christian comes from, we're making little Christ. And so that involves us becoming little Christs. So that even when Jesus prays for us, he prays that we would be sanctified so that as we are sent out, we are taking the right Christ with us. We're taking that Christ in ourselves as Christ has taken up residence within us through his spirit and is conforming us to his image. And as we who have embraced Jesus Christ by faith, as we strive to embody our Christ to the world, we, we, we begin to extend Jesus out into these different relationships and into these different situations. We are to have a lifestyle of making disciples. We are to baptize, we are told. As we connect people to the Christ, there is something special about the identification with Christ that is a countercultural move, especially in the early church. 
What he was telling them to do here in baptizing those who embrace Jesus by faith is he, he was telling them that as you baptize, what you're asking them to do is enter into a public ritual in which they are throwing off the authority of Caesar and they are committing themselves totally and wholly and completely to Jesus. They were being asked to break the law. But identification with Jesus, what we see here, is it's not as simple as embracing certain right ideas. It's not as simple as embracing a certain morality. It's not as simple as some of these different ways. It is a counter-cultural commitment of fidelity in which you are throwing off any and every other authority to embrace the authority of the one who has authority over all of heaven and all of earth. Your allegiance is to Christ, and it was costly for them. They didn't sew these nice white baptismal gowns and that were with frilly hems and edges, and I don't even know the right words to say. It wasn't a, a time for everyone to just kind of get together and and, and you know, put on this big display. It, it was a time in which they were being consecrated in, in such a dangerous fashion that it was countercultural. But this is what it means to become an apprentice. This is what it means to become a follower of Jesus Christ. It means to be connected to him, to learn from him, to become like him, to participate with him, and to help reproduce him in others. It's not just a call for a select few. It is a call for everyone who names the name of Jesus Christ. But this identification with Christ in baptism is not a one-time thing. It is an ongoing means of grace in which Jesus constantly reorients us to our new identity and calling by reminding us that we live a wet faith. We are baptized into Christ. And as we get distracted, as we have doubts, as we get confused, as we struggle, we have our baptisms and the water that has been placed upon us in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit as a means by which we have been consecrated to Christ to give us and remind us of the hope that we have in Jesus Christ and to constantly reorient to that identity and purpose. Signs and symbols are important to our King. Notice with that also we're not just to as we go, not just through baptizing, but we are to teach to observe. I'm not going to spend much on here because that's why we're going to dig into what Jesus has taught. But the thing I want to point out here is very simple. The Christian faith is not a worldview. It has a worldview. It has a worldview. It is a practice. When Jesus tells us here, to teach them all that I have taught. He doesn't say it that way. He says, teach them to observe. The idea here is the idea to keep or to even to guard. 
Like if someone, like when, when, when Paul is thrown into jail and in and, and, and the Philippi and the Philippian jailer is tasked with guarding Paul in that jail, it's the same word, tereo. You are to teach others to guard what Jesus has taught us. When Jesus teaches, he doesn't merely try to stimulate our intellect. He is calling us and conforming us to be different. And so we not only embrace what Jesus has taught, we are to embody that. And as we grow more and more in being doers of the word, We encourage those around us. We participate in the lifestyle of making disciples. So more on that as we come, and that's why we're going to dig into the Sermon on the Mount, because I'm going to suggest to you that if you are like me, the American culture has really formed and shaped my values and practices in a way that get in the way of what Christ would have me be and do. Too many of my values and too many of the things that lead to what I think is appropriate culturally and and the things that I spend my time doing have come from anything and everything other than the word of God, which is why Jesus and the challenge that he sets before us in the Sermon on the Mount is his teachings start with, you have heard it said. The problem wasn't that people weren't trying to live according to God's word as they were living according to the wrong interpretations of that word. And Jesus had to bring that proper interpretation and it was challenging. We need to be challenged. I need to be challenged. And so we're going to interact with Jesus' teaching and let him challenge us. Lastly, so you have the claim, you have the commission, and then you have the comfort, right? All this is being done in the powerful presence of Jesus Christ, who is with us until the work is completed. As we just got done celebrating Advent, and the God-man who was born in the manger and who was named Emmanuel, God with us, he wasn't just God with us in the incarnation, he is God with us even in the exaltation. And so God is work us to work for us and to work through us. And so this, beloved, this claim, this commission, this this comforting confidence of the Christ who is with us, this is what provides us our why, to use popular parlance. Not just the why for foreign missions, right? Right? The Great Commission isn't just to provide the why we support church planters around the globe or why we support missionaries who are training up indigenous leaders in other cultures and not just why we support Bible translators, not just why we support obvious ministries like supporting Chris with RUF over here at KSU or supporting our missionaries of the month, Riverside Community Church. It's the why for everything about who we are and what we are doing here at Grace Covenant Church because we are cultivating the generosity of Jesus himself. 
Why do we worship through the gospel liturgy that we use here? Because it is part of us making disciples. Why do we have Sunday school? Why do we conduct Bible studies during the week? Why do we have American Heritage Girls? Why do we have Trail Life? Why do we offer English as a second language? Why do we support Kaya? Why do we support Paulding County Pregnancy Services? Why are we engaging in diaconal service projects? Why are we raising support for guys with cancer and building them new, safer uh, places to live? Why? Why do we have big events like July 4th, Reformation Carnival? Why do we do VBS? Why, why, why? Everything is about us participating in this privilege of making disciples. And if there is anything that we are doing that is not part of that, it's going to get cut. Because there is too much for us to focus on that Christ has told us to focus on than to play around with becoming a luxury liner when we are carriers of the gospel of the king of the universe. We are making disciples of every nation, tribe, tongue, people, political party, economic class, anything that you can think of whether someone homeschools, Christian schools, private schools, public schools. It does not matter. We are a place of the gospel for every and for all. And doing so on the basis of the authority of our king and the power of his presence. It's not about us using people and coming to church in order to be around people who think just like us and live just like us and have the cultural values just like us so that we end up insulated from the uncomfortableness of taking up our cross to follow Jesus. We don't exist to create and remain in the bubble of a gospel ghetto. What we don't want to do is either intentionally or unintentionally replace the call to mission with the preoccupation with maintenance. That is the way for Grace Covenant Church to become the SS United States, where we will become a relic of the past tied to a dock serving the interests of tourists rather than engaged in mission. Is celebrating the 50th year of the PCA is celebrating the 20th year of Grace Covenant Church? Is it about celebrating the past? Yes. But it is also a celebration of the God who has been working and who has promised to continue to work if we will but believe his claim and live according to his teachings. If you look in your bulletin, this This is why we state that Grace Covenant Church strives to embrace, embody, and extend our triune God's truth, goodness, and beauty through the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is why we exist. Let us reorient ourselves and give ourselves afresh as we look into the teachings of Jesus this year so that we can do them, keep them, and guard them. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the privilege 
of being known by you and all that you did to secure your love for us in Christ. Help us to affix our faith more strongly, even and especially when we struggle with doubts, when we struggle with with how things are going, when we struggle with the details. We're not big. We don't have a huge budget. We don't have lots of people. Any and every excuse, Lord, that our flesh is so quick to come up with and instead help us to affix our hearts on our Christ who is near, who has the freedom of action to accomplish all his heart's desire in us and through us if we will but believe and take action. Guide our action, Lord, according to the character of your Son, and according to the purposes of your eternal kingdom. Do this, we pray, in us and through us. For we pray it in Christ's name. Amen.